Uh, Today, I want to speak to you about the third warning. This one's personal. There's a lot of times when I speak, and I speak about the universal church. I speak about all of us, the body of Christ at large. And it is a message for the body of Christ at large. But this one's personal. Uh, It's the most personal of all of the five warnings in the book of Hebrews. It's the most harsh of all the five warnings. And and so uh, it it may get a little tense in here uh, today, but that's intentional. Because it's for us, it's for our teenagers. Just because you're 13, 18, whatever, you're not exempt from this message. It's for our college and career students in that age group. Just because you're in a different season of life. You're not exempt from this warning. It's for those of us who have been around for a while. I mean, it is a message for every person in this room, for every person who, who comes here and calls Kirby Church home. It's a message for us, and it's a tough message. It's not an easy message, but it's a message that I pray that God speaks to your heart. I've been a pastor here for 20 years. We've had a lot of changes, and the biggest changes we talk about are the building and relocating and the, and the stuff and the structure and the music. But those are not significant changes. The significant changes happen on a deeply personal basis. I think of a, a businesswoman. That, and these are all kind of connected with Kirby or true to Kirby. As they would be in any church. But they, they, they can be, except for one of them, just kind of repeated many times over. They were at a luncheon together. They were sharing a cup of coffee and... A lady in our church shared faith with a businesswoman in our church. And by the time they were done, the business lady prayed and asked Jesus Christ into her heart. She came for a little while and was all excited but didn't connect with a a life group. Didn't connect and, and pretty soon her attendance became a little sporadic and her attendance became just almost non-existent. She began to question things of faith that she had no answer for. And she doubted and hasn't been back. We had an African-American pastor. This kind of goes back quite a a number of years. But he was just beginning coming and I was just beginning to talk with him. And and he just seemed like he was full of promise and hope. and, and And one day he calls me up on the phone and he says, I'll no longer be coming because I've decided to switch to Islam because... I believe that the only way to bring social justice on a greater scale in black America is through the Islamic faith. We've gone overseas enough, and this is not where we've gone. This is just to kind of represent that that picture. But we've gone overseas enough to where we've had people share the gospel on different mission fields. And we know of at least one, and and probably more, where a person who recanted their faith because of the pressure of their parents and the pressure of their community that they were involved in, and because there was no one there to ground them in truth, because there was no one there to, to bring them up in truth, they stepped away from truth. And went back to the only truth that they knew. We've had many of our college students. My goodness, if any church pours money into you guys, it's this church. I mean, just tot spot and children's ministry and teen ministry. And, and, and we just dump all money. And then you go off to college. And you know the story all too well, don't you? They stand or they sit in classrooms that are taught by by non-believers and there's challenge to their faith and they don't have the answers and so they feel like they must be wrong or God must be wrong because the professor certainly has to be right. 
Maybe they start embracing a new age spirituality kind of thing and pretty soon they step away from church. They step away from Christ. They step away from faith altogether. And I've been here 20 years and I could just tell you story after story after story. The next pastor down the road could tell you the same story. And the next pastor down the road could tell the same story. The pastor of the book of Hebrews tells exactly the same story. He's writing to a congregation that was perilously perilously close to turning away from faith. In the most personal and the most harshest of warnings, here's the warning. The first warning was we hear, but we don't listen. The second warning was we, we hear, but we don't trust. Today's warning is we listen, but we don't grow. We listen, but we don't grow. Sunday after Sunday, life group after life group, we hear it. We read our, our devotion, our, our daily bread. Last week we had a little fun with our daily crouton, but you understand what I'm saying. That, that is not a Bible study. That is not digging into the Word. I love it, and I appreciate radio, Bible broadcasts, and all that they do, but they would even tell you if they were here today, you got to have more than our daily bread. And I'm afraid that we've got a congregation who mirrors the congregation of the book of Hebrews. And so this is from my pastor's heart, just as it was from his pastor's heart, that I just kind of want to share with you God's word. It's the most harshest of warnings in verse 11 of chapter 5. It says this, flip in your Bibles, and here it is, man. He just right here's the sin. And by the way, he has, from the last warning in chapter 4, down through the end of 4, into chapter 5, he is developing this tremendous Christological passage. Man, he is talking how Christ is greater than, better than, how we have a, how we have a high priest who cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but is in all points tempted like we are. Hold fast to the altar. I mean, he's just, man, he's encouraging. He's going, go for it. And he's going deeper, and he's kind of dragging his church along, and all of a sudden he says... Now that is what verse 11 translates in the Greek. I do this a lot on Monday mornings. It's like I got so much more to say. People really is what he's saying, is what I'm saying. People, I got so much more to say, but it's hard to explain. The reason that is hard to explain is not because the development of the precept of the superior of the superiority of Christ from the Melchizedek order, showing the superiority of Christ over the old covenant, over the high priest, over the Levitical system, and even superior to the Melchizedek line of priesthood, that Christ is greater than he's gone. Come on, people. I can't take you to the deep stuff. Because you just want to be belly molly coddled, molly coddled. Anyway, you just want to be cuddled. I'm not the cuddling type. And you just want to hear, oh, Jesus loves me. And if you're in trouble, come to Jesus. And he's going to Melchizedek. He's not saying, oh, I just want you to feel good. And I'm glad the word of God makes me feel good. I am glad that Christ makes me understand and, and on a deep level, I understand all that, but I'm telling you, here's the sin. It wasn't fornication. It wasn't adultery. It wasn't some kind of offshoot of immorality. It's because you are slow to learn. The word slow to learn 
as nothros in the Greek. It's only used here and then again in chapter, in chapter 6. It's the bookends of the, of the warning. And it says, here's the sin. You are slow to learn. He is not calling the Hebrew congregation stupid. He's calling them lazy. Their sin is lazy. The word can mean neglect. The word can mean lackadaisical. The word can mean, can, uh, mean indolent. The bottom line, it's here's God's word. They didn't read it. Here's God's word. They didn't dig into it. Here's God's word. I just went, oh, that's nice. I really don't like to read. I really don't like to study. That's what all the books are up here. It's, it's like, dude, you got to study. Here's how a lot of us think God's going to give it to us. Um, mm, Jesus wept. I'm weeping. Mm. It doesn't come that way. Some people think, well, if I don't study, I'll just open my mouth and God will fill it. We heard that said, right? Do you know the context of that passage is if you are in front of the authorities, technically, I guess, in the, in the literal sense of the passage, in a court of law, God helps you in that moment of tension and conflict. But if you're leading a life group and go, oh, I didn't have time to study, I'm just going to go trust Jesus and share what God's laid on my heart. You have as much to offer as a caterpillar. I was going to say a gnat, and I don't know why caterpillar came out. Listen, the world has heard opinions like yours before. What the world has lost in our culture, in our day and time, is a clear clarion call of what it means to believe this book. Everybody's heard your opinion, whether you vocalize it or not. The need of the day, the need of the hours to know the book. I read somewhere years ago, and I, I keep kind of hearing it. And so if I keep kind of hearing it, either everybody's kind of bought in and drank the Kool-Aid on this thing, or it has some validity of truth. They say if you study for something 30 minutes every day, in five years you'll be an expert. 30 minutes every day, in five years you'll be an expert. I have no idea if that's true. All I'm just simply saying is if you study God's word 30 minutes every day and you dig into it, I'm telling you, you will be a much stronger Christian than you ever imagined you could be. The sin, the sin was they were slow to learn. They were dull, if you have a, a, a different translation. They were lazy. They were insipid. They simply were lazy. We could give an invitation right now, and every one of us would be on the altar, wouldn't we? Because we've all been there. That's the sin. Remember, in a warning, there's always the audience has identified the sin, the consequences, and then there's a word of encouragement. By the way, he goes on with kind of the, yeah, thought. Look at verse 12. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers. Do you understand what he's saying? He's saying, listen, you have been saved long enough. Teach somebody. The New Testament... The New Testament pattern was this. And I, man, I, I dug in more of this than I did the message this week because it really just kind of captivated me. They heard, they listened. They heard the word of truth because faith comes by 
hearing, and so on. And so they hear, then they listen. That means you you reflect, you think about it. Now, thinking about it goes beyond teenagers. <laughs> it does. It's cool. Mom and dad, you go, oh, yeah, man, preacher really got excited. That little vein stuck out his face, head got real red. It goes beyond that. He said, you ought to be teachers. You cognitively process. What does it mean to be a disciple of Christ? What does it mean to obey him? Is truth absolute or is it conditional? Is my faith mine or is it his? I mean, it's just like, how do you, how do you process this thing? He said, you ought to be teachers. You ought to be, to let that grab your heart because not only were they to learn, but then they were supposed to, to trust, then they were supposed to grow, that's obey, and then they were supposed to teach. Church talk, they were supposed to serve. The expectation of the New Testament church was that every member would be a, hello? We've been saying that around here for a long time. But we got people go, oh, you know what, I just, I just, you know, I just, I just love it. I just love coming to church and hear Don sing the songs. I just love coming to church. Oh, wasn't it so good to have Byron with it? Oh, it's just so good. That's my son, by the way. That's, that's good. My granddaughter's here. Yes. Megan's singing, boy, wasn't that, man, that just like took me back years. That's just like, oh, man, that's awesome, sweet. And then I get up and preach. Well, was that my cell phone? Oh, yeah, I got a message. Yeah, I wonder what time the game starts. Oh, here, hey, I got a countdown. All right, yeah. Pretty good. Man, it's getting hot in here. Man, I hope I close the garage door. Hope I locked the door. I hope I turned off the oven. <laughs> I hadn't cooked in a month. It doesn't matter. You know, just... We'll probably go out and eat anyway. See, when we sing, it's easy to engage, isn't it? I mean, it really is. And I'm not musical. My, every, everybody, anything musical that my children have comes from my wife and not the hair. All right? I mean, it is like, she's singing, la, 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 I mean, it's like. And we love the music because it, it, it stirs the emotion. But here's what was happening in the Hebrew church, and here's what's happening in Kirby church. We, we, we engage on that emotive level, but man, we run from the cognitive. Don't ask me to think through the thoughts of progressive sanctification. Don't, don't ask me to, to deal with issues of, of where does faith and social justice intersect in the pages of Scripture and how do I apply it in life? What happens if a Jehovah's Witness knocks on our door? Most of us would go, well, you don't answer it. Why not take the name of Jesus to it? So well, I don't really know enough. Why not? Why not? 
Some of you, and I've been here 20 years, so I think I got a little clout and I can say this. If you run me out of town, it's okay. We'll just go somewhere else. That's all right. But some of you are no older today than either A, the day that you got saved, or the day that you came here. And if you are no older spiritually in the understanding of your faith, I don't care how many years you tag along to it, it is not about how long you've been saved. It is about the maturing of your faith. It is about what you know and your ability to apply it to life. The pastor of the Hebrew church, pastor of the church, I want you to know that there's 66 books in the Bible, 39 in the Old Testament, 27 in the New Testament, written by over 40 different authors, men and women, over a space of 1,500 years on three different continents. Most of them did not know each other, and yet the Bible is without error, and it was truly inspired by God. Yes, I want you to know that. I want you to know the data. I want you to know Jesus lived on this earth about 33 years. And he began his earthly ministry at the age of 30 and did the seven miracles in the Gospel of John. And I could go on and on and on. He did many others. But what made them, where the laziness showed up, was not that they quit going to church. They just quit growing. And where that will affect you is in verse 13. Anyone who lives on milk is still an infant. You're still on the bottle. Not acquainted with teaching about righteousness. What they're saying is this. You, you, you got, you're a spiritual infant because you don't know how to take God's word and apply it to real life situations. Now, I don't know if you've caught on or not, but God somehow just... Wonderfully works to where your theology, your belief system, your gestalt, your worldview will collide with whatever is going on in your world. You got to know what you believe. You got to be able to handle this book skillfully so you know what's right and you know what's wrong. He's going, come on, you ought to be teachers. People are dying and lost and going to hell. And if you're a believer here at Kirby Church, any one of you can tell somebody how to become a Christ follower. Well, that's not my job. Well, yes, it is. Read the book. You can be teachers. You say, well, that's your job. You're the pastor. I am. But the author of the book of Hebrews is making this point. He is saying, ladies and gentlemen, the pastor of the church is not responsible for your spiritual growth. He's to add to it, complement it, supplement it, encourage it, exhort you, rebuke you at times. He's to encourage you on. He's to give you opportunity to grow and to serve. But ultimately, you have got to take your faith by the horns and say, I am responsible for this. Jesus Christ, who saved me, died on the cross, rose again, and is coming back for me. I better learn something about the guy who's coming back for me get in the book you know it's so hard well let's kind of I mean so far it's pretty clear isn't it anybody have trouble understanding the last three verses so he goes on he goes therefore he, he says therefore let us leave the simple teachings of maturity laying on our hands and then the foundation of repentance. And, and he goes through five things that every, it was kind of like the ABCs of the New Testament. There was, there was repentance from acts that lead to death. There was faith in God. The next verse goes on to talk about baptism and the laying on of hands. Baptism is the, is the 
introduction or the identification with Jesus Christ and the laying on of hands. And it's, it's talking about fellowship and extending the right hand of fellowship and, and, and the healing, the pray, you know, laying on hands, praying for the sick, and all that kind of stuff. Ordination was probably a part of that as well. And, and there were a lot of things where people would lay their hand and confirm, but it was extending. And so the laying on of hands was the identifying with the body of Christ. It's church stuff. Then you go to the resurrection of the dead. And I'm telling you, when you stand in front of people and you preside over as many funerals as I've done in my ministry, I'm telling you, you better have an answer for that question. Somebody dies and they say, oh, a little child dies and that little child, oh, well, God needs little angels. So God took our little baby and made him an angel. That is not true. First of all, we're humans, not angels, and humans will never be angels, and angels will never be humans, except I marry the only human angel that is around because I'm trying to get out of the doghouse. <laughs> so because we don't know stuff, we just make it up. And then a future judgment, the ABCs look like this. It's what everybody knew. It was repentance, faith, community of the believers, resurrection, eternal judgment. So here's what we're going to do. We're going we're gonna to take a quiz. In just a second, we're going to stand up. And when you get it wrong, you're going to sit down. It just got real tense in here, didn't it? Why did it get tense in here? If I was to ask most of the men in here, hey, I got some trivia questions about Michigan football, most of the guys would go, bring it, I know it. Right, men? Yeah, I know, you're going, I'm going to hang myself wherever I go with that. Ladies, if I were to ask you a question about decorating your house, you would go, oh, I saw it on a home and garden channel, designing women or pioneer woman, one of the big three. You go, bring it, I understand. Color schemes, coming winter, fall, you know, contouring colors, a shade darker, I get all that. But when it comes to talking about the most important thing ever in the history of the world, we tense up and we go, mm-hmm. There's nothing funny about that. There is something seriously wrong with that. We hear, but we don't grow. We hear, but we don't grow. In verses 4 through 6, he describes what it is to be a, a believer, and it's a beautiful definition. He's say, and basically what he's saying is, listen, you're saved. You understand this. I'm not talking to the marginalized. I'm not talking to the unsaved. I'm not talking about the peripheral people. I'm talking about those who've been once enlightened, once enlightened, who have tasted of the heavenly gift, who've shared the Holy Spirit of God. And in verse 5, it continues on, and it says, you've tasted the goodness of the Word of God. You've known it. You've experienced it. And the power of the coming age. He says, you've got all of that. But you hear, but you don't grow. How do we do that? We're lazy. We don't pick up the Bible and read, or we read and we fall asleep while we're reading the Bible. 
Can I just ask our teenagers, how many of you have parents who let you study that way for a test? Oh, no, go ahead, son, just read, and I know you're going to get sleepy, lay down, turn the lights down low, and just fall asleep. Are you kidding me? I was the quiz master at our house, man. I drilled my kids, man. They had to know it frontwards, backwards, inside out. I made up stuff. I'm telling you. Now, there's nothing wrong, and I do like reading my Bible at night, and I do like falling asleep in the arms of God, but I don't count that as my study. I don't try to pose that to God that, yeah, I've read my Bible today. God, I learned something about No. I'm talking about digging in the book and just going, yeah, that word impossible there in verse 4. I kind of started, you know, I'm a little, and so I started thinking about the word impossible, mission impossible, and all that kind of stuff. And I got, then, so in the book of Hebrews, there's four times that the author uses the word impossible. I'm going to preach on it sometime this year. It's a cool study. He says in verse 6, if they fall away, who? The people in verse 4 and 5. Christians, if you fall away to be brought back to repentance. Now I know what some of you are going. Uh-oh, here's the whole Calvin-Arminian debate. Some of you don't even know who Calvin and our Jacob Arminius is. That's fine. For the sake of this message and the sake of this lesson, I want you to understand this has really nothing to do with Calvinism or Arminianism. This writing predates it by almost 1,500 years. The preacher was telling his people that, listen, there is a consequence to your sin of laziness. You can't live a life that ignores God, that chooses to learn nothing about God, to not think seriously about the implications of God in your life, and to get in a crisis moment of your life and expect to have an answer. This book pours into you. Where did it go? This book pours into you. The Holy Spirit pours into you through this book. And when you get into that crisis moment, because here's what most of us do. Just amen. You get in that crisis moment, and we don't really know what the book says. And the moment so challenges us our faith that we blame God for the challenge when God gave us his word to rise above the challenge. Does that make sense? We ignored the book. We were lazy and, and trusting and exploring and experiencing God and, and all of the ways that God wants us to experience him. And so we blame God because there was this trial situation in life that we couldn't handle. God said, listen, there's be no temptation put on you that you can handle. I'll go with you every step of the way. And yet we get in those times because we get lazy. We hear, but we don't grow. And it is a harsh warning because every one of us have been lazy. Every one of us ought to know more than what we know. I finished my, my, my grad work, my undergrad, I'm, I'm, I'm done. It's not that I'm smart enough, it's just... And they sent me a little diploma in the, in the mail and... I haven't even opened the tube that it's in. I just, it's on the desk, just kind of thrown off to the side. It's just like, and I picked it up and I started opening it. And I went, you know, I'm just amazed at how much I still don't know about this book. 
And for me, the diploma isn't going to come in the mail. The diploma will be when I walk through streets of gold or on streets of gold and gates of pearl and I hear my Savior look to me and because I've persevered in the faith, say, well done, good and faithful servant. Good and faithful. Faithful to what? Faithful to the written and the living word of God Almighty.